Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jahanze Banzari about AI and the future of work. Jahanse Bansari, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's a great pleasure for me to it's be a, here today. It's a pleasure to be with you. I so appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me and share your insights with me and my listeners. Today, we're going to be talking all about artificial intelligence and implications for the future of work. Now, I'm sure this is the, this is the kind of topic that many people have heard at least a little bit about, but most of the time when people are talking about it, they don't actually know what they're talking about. It's it's people like me trying to um, trying to interpret what I've heard experts say, uh, but I'm not an expert in AI myself, and so. But now I have an expert in the room with me or, or virtually with me um, so we can really dive on into this and really better understand what the implication, you know, what the current state of AI is, what the implications are for things like diversity and unconscious bias, and really how it's feeding into the current workplace and the future of work. As we get started, I wanted to share Jahan Zeb's bio with everybody. Jahanze Bansari is a keynote speaker, a lifelong learner, and the co-founder and CEO of Nakri, an AI video assessment tool, a leader in HR technology. Nakri works with Fortune 500 such as IBM and has been featured in numerous media outlets, including Forbes, Bloomberg, The Daily Mail, Huffington Post, TechCrunch, VentureBeat, and many, many other notable publications. He is often invited to share his thoughts on AI, the future of work, unconscious bias, and diversity at major events internationally. And again, it's a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners just by way of your personal background or context before we dive on in further? Thank you so much, No, I think that was great. Okay, well, tell us a little bit uh, to start then about uh, Nakri and, and why uh, you started the firm, what you're really trying to accomplish there, and how that feeds into the broader discussion that we're going to have today about AI and the future of work. Absolutely. So, so one of the catalysts to actually getting started was I was applying to jobs. And you all see, and you all heard that my name is John Zave. I'm sorry, it's a long epic name. And so I wouldn't hear back from a lot of employers. And so one of my co-founders, Maz, suggested that I, I anglicize it. And I went from a variation of Jason, Jordan, Jacob, and literally in four to six weeks, I got a job. And with that experience, we just felt like there's so many people that are being overlooked and that there has to be a better solution. So that's the time, John, where I came together with my co-founder, Maz, and a childhood friend, Faisal Ahmed, who's a machine learning scientist, 
And we came together as a team and we brought on an industrial organizational psychologist to essentially like build Knockery, which is an AI powered behavioral video assessment tool that reduces bias and shortlists the best candidates to interview. Our technology is currently being utilized by companies such as IBM, the Department of Defense in Canada, uh, and several more companies, uh, um, primarily in the financial uh, and like technology sector. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I, I just, all I can say is I'm sorry uh, that that's been your experience. And unfortunately, it's not unique to you. Many people uh, of different nationalities, of different, uh, uh, different ethnic and minority groups have been uh, marginalized in that way and not given a fair shake. And, and it, you know, in some cases, it may be explicit types of prejudices and, and biases, but most of the time, it's probably just the implicit biases that people have that they're not even fully aware of, but they inform their decision-making, especially when you're talking about a recruiter who's going through um, resumes and things so quickly. And it can be the smallest little thing that, will cause them to either look at someone or not look at someone. And it's unfortunate that so often, there's been lots of research on this, so often um, an individual's name will be uh, the reason why someone doesn't get looked at. You have some, you know, the exact same resume, one with, you know, that looks like a name of a white guy like me versus uh, someone who's who's not a white guy. And then all of a sudden, who who, gets the interview. Um, and, and that's an, an unfortunate state of affairs. And so that's one of the great things about un, uh, implicit bias training and, and other mechanisms that are being put in place in organizations to try to get those systematized, institutionalized elements out of the process so everyone truly has a fair opportunity. Um, and we can really hire the best people, the best talent. And it's, it's one of the great things about machine learning and artificial intelligence that you can remove the, these biases. Um, now I say that with a caveat though, that one of the big critiques of AI in, for example, the selection process for employees is you have to train the AI, you have to teach the AI. And if you have biases that go into the, into the learning process, the, the learning process on the, on the um, beginning stage, then it's just going to spit out more biased decisions. So how do you go about um, trying to deal with that issue uh, with your platform? That's a, um, and thank you for that question. Uh, that's a great point, actually. And this is something that the industry has been struggling with. And I'll share with you that like one of the bigger secrets in our assessment industry is that the is that the like majority of AI vendors, they train a lot of their like models on highly subjective and like biased data such as historical performance or interviewing or interviewer like ratings. Um, if you take the case of Amazon, you know it's a great organization, it's a great company, but they had to scrap their experimental AI resume screening tool after they found out that it was poorly scoring qualified female candidates uh, due to like biased historical data. So essentially it would throw them out uh, and just hire like a bunch of dudes. And that behavior was just based on a bunch of dudes just hiring other dudes, right? So 
Uh, yeah, lo and behold, when you have a history of like successful candidates being white dudes and, yeah. and you feed that into the AI, it's going to produce more white dude candidates getting hired, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so what we did is that we saw these problems uh, and we saw another sort of like video-based company that, that, that got in some hot water uh, with, you know, emotional expressions uh, and et cetera. So we obviously as an organization that started off from the ground up with diversity in mind, I think it would be grossly unethical for us to, uh, you know, further like perpetuate it. And so, so we took a very, very like different approach and we are an open box um, that is based on the world of industrial organizational psychology. So what we've done is that we have uh, we've mapped out skills and competencies of what is scientifically correlated to success on a particular job role. So, so for example, what are the scientific attributes that makes a consultant extremely successful at their job role? And essentially, like what we're doing is we have taken that like data and our technology just reads the interview transcript. So just the audio interview transcript of their response of a candidate um, and essentially picks up on like work behaviors that are um, essentially correlated to success on, on a particular job role. And so we are, we're not training it like based on human performance or any uh, interviewer like rating or historical performance. Uh, we're not looking at any like videos, so there's no expression or, or you know, uh, emotion. That's a can of worms as well. We're solely analyzing the audio interview transcript um, and just taking a look at, at, at the behaviors that are popping in there. Yeah, well, that, that's interesting. And, and I'm familiar with some of these other um, companies and platforms like you described, and, and I'm aware of some of the hot water <laughs> that people have been in. And, and I've, I've even utilized a little bit of, of some of these other services myself just to test them out and see what they're like. And, and immediately, those have been my concerns is, is yeah, you, you have to be super careful about what you're feeding into the algorithm. Um, and if you want to get, you know, good information, good uh, recommendations back. So, so that uh, your approach seems uh, much more solid. And I, I'm not an, uh, an organizational industrial psychologist, but I am an organizational sociologist. That's what, what I got my PhD in. So I do a lot of crossover research in the, um, in the social psychology space. And there's a lot of overlap there with, with IO psych. Um, and so I've, I've done quite a bit of work in this space as well, just, you know, on the, on the academic side with my research, but as well as doing, you know, consulting work and assessment work with organizations. And this is a big deal because organizations spend so much time and money trying to, to attract really great people. And we know right now, for example, we're in the midst of this, the great resignation and it's hard to get good people. So we're, we do everything we can to get a good pool together. Hopefully we have a really strong, robust pool, but that's a challenge in and of itself right now. Once you do that though, we know that so many hiring decisions tend to be made based pretty much off of the interview. Uh, and interviewing is the worst indicator of someone's ability to actually uh, you know, B 
be successful in the job. There's a lot of research on this. And so we have to be able to find ways to get past simply interviewing as the indication. And one of the reasons, the main reason really why interviewing is such a bad indicator is because there's so much subjectivity when a human being like myself is sitting there interviewing people and whether I know it or not, or like it or not, um, whether it's my intention or not, my implicit biases are informing every single uh, thing that I, that I take away from that interview. So everything goes through my filters of bias, right? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. And there's the, you know, the age old thing people talk about, you know, as soon as you walk in the room um, to be interviewed within the first 10 seconds, they made a decision. Well, more research recently has shown it's actually not 10 seconds. It's like a fraction of a second (laughs) that, uh, that interviewers, a human being interviewer within a fraction of a second, when that person walks in the room or pops on the zoom call or whatever, they're making um, judgments that inform the rest of the conversation and ultimately what their decisions will be. And that is insane that we are, um, that we trust ourselves that much uh, amidst everything we know about psychology and implicit biases. um, and, And then that's what ends up happening. So that's why we tend to make so many bad hiring decisions uh, when you build in objectivity into, you know, a relatively subjective process, it can uh, take away those implicit biases. And now you have the opportunity to really compare apples to apples and to see how people stack up against each other and choose the best candidate. That's what organizations need. That's what they want. Uh, and that's what applicants need and want. And so it's good for employee experience and applicant experience. It's good for organizations. Uh, it's really good for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's a great point, actually. And I wanted to share is that I think having an objective process that is also like structured is so important. Uh, Because as you were saying, like companies, they end up like paying thousands and thousands of dollars for it. Um, I mean, uh, they spend on just the interviewing process. And then in the end, if they don't hire the best candidates or or they're churning, et cetera, then it's, it's just such a loss of money. Uh, I think there's one more thing that I'd love to highlight here is that uh, what we've 
been able to accomplish is essentially we have automated that objective like behavioral assessment. That's what we've been able to accomplish. Uh, and this just by itself like would cost the company so much money, uh, hire IO psychologist, create uh, like competency models for each job role. And we're able to just do this on the fly now, which has been tremendous. Uh, the other one thing that we also discovered is there is like one type of assessment actually in particular that leads to further biases in the hiring process, which we or the industry um, doesn't talk about as much. So a cognitive-based assessment actually um, has shown scientifically to act to disadvantage the African-American and the and the Latinx community, and it's and it's just simply like because of the fact that of the way that these assessments are like conducted, um, they don't match with somebody's social economic status of how they were growing right. up and those right. like relevant experiences and those questions. And so uh, that's the other piece that we are a lot of our customers like that we work with. We shed light on this and show show them the data on this as well. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point. There's a huge amount of research on this with things like standardized test, standardized testing in schools or for placement exams for colleges and universities. And many organizations have fallen into the trap of these types of cognitive assessments, even for job placement uh, purposes. And there's lots of court cases <laughs> that you, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, uh, go, go search and, and look at a lot of these court cases that have come about because of some of these types of assessments. So you, you definitely have to be very careful as you're going about the, the uh, assessment process to make sure that there aren't, you're, you're not unintentionally um, negatively um, uh, discriminating against certain populations of people. Uh, and again, it has nothing to do with intention. It, it just, if that's the way the instrument is written uh, in such a way that it, it privileges certain socialization in background rather than someone's actual understanding or ability, then you have a problem, right? And that's what we've seen in a lot of these, these types of assessments that you, that you so well uh, described. So at, at uh, Nakri, you're doing some great stuff. Let's zoom out a little bit uh, in our final several minutes together and talk a little bit more broadly about implications you see for AI, where it's at now, where you see it's going, and what it's going to mean for the future of work. Yeah, so I think um, from like a, a couple of years ago, I would say that we, we were probably at a stage where organizations were extremely fearful about AI technology, and they went through a transformation of educating themselves and now they're embracing it. However, even as they're embracing it, I think there are like a few dangers in the sense, uh, as we talked about, you can like build in like biases into the, into the algorithms, into a lot of the technologies. And so what we're seeing in our, in our industry and like several more is that like regulation has been coming in. So in New York, there's actually a, AI hiring regulation that has just come in. And we expect to see this and some form of an, an ISO standard that is going to be created for technology like this 
to make sure that it's a fair and just process. Um, because obviously we know the benefits. There are immense benefits. It's just like fire. Uh, you can either like, you know, cook food with it and like serve the entire hungry world, or you could burn a house down. And we just want to make sure that, uh, you know, it's checked um, in all the right places. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And do you see, you know, if we fast forward five to 10 years from now, um, any predictions on how you think AI is going to be utilized within the average organization versus how it's utilized now? I think um, a lot, a lot of like, like functions are kind of, are going to become like very efficient. Uh, and a lot of the tedious and repetitive tasks are going to be taken over. Uh, do I believe that humans are going to be uh, eliminated from all jobs? Absolutely not. I think it's essentially allow, allowing us as humans to like focus on on the more important tasks that like require that person-to-person -person, uh, interaction. Some jobs like might be taken away. However, ten others are being created at that same pace now. So I'm I'm pretty excited by it, and and I think as organizations that start to embrace it, they're going to see. Um, all the cost savings there as well and efficiencies obviously you know there's there's been big reports that have come out about displaced workers and and uh, you know predictions for the next 10 20 30 50 years and what ai and machine learning is going to do for the the nature of work and i think people tend to hone in and focus in on the wrong thing so will there be certain jobs certain tasks even professions that exist today that in 20, 30 years will either be dramatically altered or will cease to exist. I think that's true. Uh, because just like we've always seen during various stages of the industrial revolution and, and automation, like anytime you can figure out how to do something more efficiently and effectively, you're going to do that. And then all of a sudden it displaces certain tasks that people used to do. So that's going to happen for sure. But to your point, what people fail, you know, they focus in on that because that's the kind of the doomsday, oh, the machines are going to take over. Um, what they fail to acknowledge is that for every one task that now a machine can do or, uh, or the computer can do or software can do or an algorithm can do, usually it, it's going to create more opportunity, more jobs um, that are more aligned with people's values and what motivates them. So that I'm, like you said, I'm spending less time doing tedious, mind-numbing, repetitive work, I'm doing much, I'm spending much more time doing things that are fulfilling and meaningful and motivating and interesting. Um, and ultimately, that's going to help everybody that's going to help organizations, it's going to help us as human beings, it's going to help societies, if we can do it in a way, like you referred to earlier, where we take the benefits of things like AI machine learning, and we can do it in a way that's responsible. And so we're not building in, you know, uh, and perpetuating biases and prejudices and, and those sorts of things. So it's going to be an interesting time for sure, as we move into the future. Nobody knows the future, of course, you know, we could end up with some sort of a Terminator dystopian future. Uh, but I, I like to think that we're probably more likely to end up in more of a Star Trek utopian kind of a future. Um, that's my hope anyways. And we'll see how things go in, in the coming years. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today. I'm super pleased with the conversation. I appreciate all your insights. Before we close, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. 
Oh, great. Um, and thank you for that, by the way. Um, you know, folks, please feel free to reach out. My name is John Zabe. I'm sorry. It's J-A-H-A-N-Z-A-I-B. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to connect if you have any questions. And if you're interested in utilizing Nocri at your organization, please go on the website and book a demo. Uh, and, and like one of us is going to take care of you. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited about the future. And, uh, you know, we'll see where um, AI takes us. And I think the next one place is the magical area of, of the entire like metaverse, which Facebook is creating. So we might be applying for jobs over virtual, virtual like reality somewhere. And, uh, and we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Jahan Zeb can do for you. Please um, get connected. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.